Daredevil finds himself in a battle against Elektra, and then he decides to go to Hong Kong to gamble. Find out all about it as we take a look at Daredevil, Back in the Black, Volume 2, Super Sonic. Straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Mark Wade had an incredibly popular run on Daredevil. Daredevil had been a character who had gone through a dark and gritty reboot under Frank Miller, and that had continued under other writers such as Brian Michael Bendis. Wade pulled things back a notch and made the stories a bit lighter. There could still be some dark stuff in them, but they were not as dark as it had been. And when Wade finished up his work on Daredevil, Matt Murdock was in San Francisco, having been disbarred in New York City, and practicing law on the West Coast, while protecting his best friend, Foggy Nelson, who is recovering from cancer, and carrying on a relationship with his girlfriend, uh, Kristen McGovey. In the first issue of Soul's Run, he is back in uh, New York City, now working as a prosecutor. And no one knows his secret identity other than Foggy Nelson. What happened? How did Matt Murdock change his entire life? Why did he change his entire life? Well, you won't find that answer at all in Volume 1, of uh, Daredevil Back in the Black. Name this way because Daredevil is sporting a black uh, costume with uh, his logo in red. It's a good look. The book itself is written, I think, to really have more of a tone of the uh, Netflix series. And rather than starting the book, making the radical changes that occur that would have had to happen to uh, totally uh, turn uh, Matt Murdock's life on its head, Charles Sewell just decided to go ahead and drop us in right in the middle. So we'll see if there is uh, any clarification in this book. Volume 2 collects issues 6 through 9 of Daredevil, plus the Daredevil annual number 1. Issue 6 and 7 is a story featuring Elektra. Daredevil got a message that Elektra gave Matt Murdock for Daredevil to meet her. And Elektra responds by attacking Daredevil. And they fight, and he doesn't have any idea what the heck is going on. Finally, he gets Elektra to explain that she had a daughter who she made an adoption plan for and left her in the care of a loving family. But the daughter has been kidnapped and she's been told that Daredevil's behind it and hands him the evidence. The evidence is on a cell phone. And Daredevil just kind of stares at it. Because with all of his enhanced powers, it's just a blank cell phone. He can't read the screen. So he takes it from Elektra and ask Foggy Nelson to read it to him. And here I'll get into spoilers for this particular arc. 
in terms of what is on the screen. So here's the spoiler. It turns out that there is actually nothing on the screen, and that, in fact, Electra had been put under mind control to believe there was. And it turns out that Electra didn't have a daughter in the first place. That was also something that she was mind-controlled into believing. It's kind of a weird destination, but I think the story itself uh, does work pretty well. It's got a sort of noirish feel to it. And it's an intriguing mystery, even if the solution's not all that amazing. Next up is the two-issue story, Blind Man's Bluff. And in Blind Man's Bluff, Matt Murdock is in Hong Kong, gambling undercover, pretending to be a Frenchman and playing Texas Hold'em, which he tells us is one of the few games that he can play as a blind man because uh, he doesn't need to see the cards uh, since it's not uh, draw poker where players take cards, it's Hold'em where uh, they uh, get their cards and it's played against uh, the uh, cards that are are drawn for all the players. And so by listening to the heartbeats, he can tell whether the players in question think they have a strong hand. Looking into Texas Hold'em, I think that's somewhat plausible. Not being able to see the cards can put you at a disadvantage because someone you're playing against uh, may be a little bit nervous but still could have a better hand than you and still might be uh, staying uh, all in. But be that as it may, it's a risky, dangerous thing. But apparently Daredevil is not just into physical risk, he's into financial risk. And since his whole plan and purpose for being there will fall apart if he fails, it it's pretty much, uh, he's just all riding on being able to bluff his way through this uh, uh, card game. And he manages to win the first uh, round that we see, and then he goes into the second round. And he finds out that a ringer has been brought in. The ringer is a telepath who can read people's minds. And in a card game, that is really convenient because you can just read their minds and find out what their cards are. But he runs into a problem with Matt Murdock because Matt doesn't know. And he also has mental walls up so he can fend off this sort of attack. He... Uh, he says that's the only way you can keep your secret identity is if you have strong mental defenses. And this is kind of cool because we see this telepath actually trying to attack his uh, mind. And it's like there's this mind battle. It's a really cool bit of art. And I enjoy that part of the book. He gets a $10 million check for winning the championship and uh, the winner's suite. But he really was just concerned about getting this suite so that he could be in position to move as Daredevil. He says that he will be unable to cash the check because it's made out to his alias. And he doesn't have identification in the name of his alias. Uh, And this raises some questions like how he checked into the hotel room. Plus, Mr. Murdoch is willing to do all of these illegal things, but gets a bit shy about the idea of cashing a $10 million check with a fake ID, which reaffirms my 
occasional conclusion that sometimes Daredevil isn't so much the man without fear as the man without good sense. But at any rate, he's uh, used this uh, position in this uh, penthouse so that he can uh, be able to go ahead and steal a uh, briefcase. And he has the help of Spider-Man. Spider-Man at this point, under Dan Slott, uh, who they decided, of course, uh, as a Marvel policy, in order to make him more relatable to the common man, to uh, have him sell his marriage to Satan. But Spider-Man at this point, apparently as part of the same effort to make him more relatable, is a multi-billionaire with a worldwide corporation and presence. Because nothing says relatable like multi-billionaire. Anyway, he and uh, Daredevil team up and they get the briefcase, but Spidey is not too sure about letting him keep it. And pressed and up against the wall and being an attorney, Matt is tempted to lie about this, but he instead goes ahead and tells Spidey the truth uh, as far as he it goes, which isn't much more than the readers already knew, that uh, people knew his secret identity, he arranged to have it erased, and this is part of some big master plan to bring down all of the crime uh, in New York City all at once. So Spotty gives him the briefcase and tells him to be careful of his uh, black costume periods, because those are dangerous, making a reference to Spotty's own period. Spidey also could have warned him about uh, making deals to undo uh, public knowledge of your identity with dubious forces, but he doesn't remember doing that. That was part of the deal. And then we get the annual. The annual has two stories in it. The first one features Echo, who is a uh, deaf a superheroine slash vigilante, I guess. I've never uh, seen the character before. And she is at a uh, concert where the uh, sound criminal Claw manages to uh, hijack the sound and turn everyone who hears it into his own zombie army. So she dashes off to find uh, Daredevil and sticks earbuds in his ear and play some Prince music for him so that he doesn't hear the music and they team up to fight Claw. This story doesn't do a lot for me, just kind of feels random, as does the next story, which involves the return of the character formerly known as the Gladiator, who hasn't been seen as dare- in Daredevil in a long time. Uh, and in this story, he is angry and killing people, and he has multiple personalities, and Daredevil has to fight him. And, yeah, I did not care for this one at all. Overall, this book poses a challenge, uh, because I can see a lot good with it. I think the art is really strong in this book. I like it better than I did in the first book, where everything was just in so much uh, darkness and uh, it kind of seemed a bit more meh. Here, I think you have, it's still not incredibly colorful, but you have a judicious use of color, which really does make the story seem a lot more vibrant and alive, while still having this sort of dark undertone to it. I also like some of the things that Sewell does with the uh, character of Daredevil. 
it's interesting to have Sewell use Daredevil's blindness in ways that don't actually give him strength. I think some writers, when they write the characters, essentially have his uh, super senses kind of completely uh, negate the challenge of him being blind. But Sewell introduces some cases where being blind does actually present a challenge, such as not being able to read a phone screen or not being able to read cards, although that also turns out having an advantage. However, I really didn't care much for the annual, and more than that, I also just have a problem with the whole reboot thing. Whenever you take over a book that's been previously published, uh, unless there's been some universe-wide reboot, you have to show some respect for what's come before. And you have to find a good way to deal with it. I think the way that Sewell did this uh, just really leaves a bad taste. Because we're dealing with a mystery, but it's not a mystery to Daredevil, and it's certainly not a mystery to the writer. It's a mystery just because the writer doesn't want to talk about it. But when you've made such massive revisions, you've got to talk about it. From what I've read, this goes on until we actually start getting some answers until issue 17. So for a year and a half, we don't actually know why the new status quo actually happened or exists or what's behind it. I just can't go for that. For Sewell to keep me reading, the book would have to be super, super good, and it's just not that. I think there's uh, some enjoyable parts in there, and others may like it, but for me, I will give it a rating of not classy. All right, well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, classycomicsguy at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at classycomicsguy. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.